0: talk some ball, 347-633-9365 is the number to call, so don't sit around, no time to stall, giving you football from wall to wall, and now we give you our two hosts, Emil and Chad with your breakfast toast. It's Friday, getting ready to serve the toast, Chad Wilson, Emil Calamino, you know what it is,
1: it's football Friday here on the Gridiron Stud Show, no frills, football talk. I'm joined by the very esteemed Amo Calamino. What's the temperature like out there in Pennsylvania? Just for us folks down here in Florida. Hey, listen, really-
2: listen. It's global warming time, baby. We were, you know, two Florida people and anybody in California listening, if they're up real early, uh, you know, this is nothing. But we were in the 50s the other day, which in Pennsylvania, you lived in the northeast. 50 at the end of January is like balmy. Uh, God, uh,
1: God said, yeah. Uh, I've got a youngster out at uh, Wyoming playing for the Wyoming Cowboys and uh, sends me a daily Snapchat with the temperature, um, two degrees a couple of days ago, he sent to me. Yeah, and I promptly Uh, filmed uh, our backyard where we we have a a creek. I don't call it canal. Canal is such a dirty word. A creek and the sun's shining. I don't think he was too happy with that. Let me ask you something. Don't,
2: Don't those alligators come up those creeks once in a while?
1: They may or may not.
2: No problem. What kind of answer they is only, that? They either do or they don't.
1: The alligators don't eat black guys. So I'm not concerned. Uh, a couple <laughs> of my... <laughs> oh,
0: they, only like, they only like
1: white meat, huh? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much what
0: it is. I, I mean, and I'm the
1: same. When I go to uh, Pollo Tropical, a very um, popular chicken place down here, it's white meat for me, too. So I, I get it. I feel <laughs> it um
2: Hey, I'll tell you something. You know, I mean, this might not be popular with some of you out there, but you know, when you live in the north, I'm digging the global warming. I got to tell you. Are you? I, I, oh, hey, the last couple winters, like last winter and this winter, I mean, we've literally had, for by northeast standards, like no snow. Like I'm telling you, this this year where I live, we haven't had in the whole since the beginning of November, which you know you can start getting snow up here at any point at that time. Uh, we haven't had six inches of snow where I live. Now, in different parts of the area we have, but that's nothing up here. Yeah. Uh, what's it. the feeling on does that bother My you? My feeling or, on what?
1: Uh, the fact that you've got less snow and maybe, you know, per, warmer temperatures. Does that bother you? Are you happy about it or concerned about the Ecstatic. future? Ecstatic.
2: Listen, not the, listen you, you remember that old comedian – uh, I think he might be dead. I don't know if he's dead. Sam Kennison, he used to scream about people living in the desert with sand, and he'd say, Listen, don't send them money, don't send them aid, send them a U haul. Remember that? Yeah. Nothing. I do? N- nothing. You know how nothing grows in sand? Nothing grows in ice. Nothing. True.
1: Uh, very, <laughs> very true on that. Uh, yeah, for you folks. Up north, enjoy the temperatures. Uh, I'm sure it'll get warmer here very soon. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't know the forecast, but nevertheless, hey, we're doing well down here. Well, I think we're, uh, you know, what? let me get you a temperature right now. But it feels. Oh yeah, go ahead, do that if, for me. If, uh, if anyone feels like getting mad about that, I have the AC on right now uh, at my you location. You have the oh, AC on? Go. Yeah. I probably should. Wow. Have. I haven't been outside really yet. 67 degrees here for us in uh, the town I'm in, Pembroke Pines, Florida, which is smack dab in between Fort Lauderdale and Miami, uh, 67 degrees. So uh, I guess that's – got to get a, a wool cap and, and maybe maybe some gloves if you're down here. <laughs>
2: or, hey, last year when I was down there, you had a day like that, right? It was like 67 degrees. And, you know, I, I had on, like, shorts, but, you know, maybe one of those, like, polo-type sweaters, just, just – you know, with the zipper down, one of those three-quarter zippers. And i watch people down there that were definitely natives. They literally had on, like, the the North Face jacket that I'll wear up here when it's, like, 30 degrees. They were, like, wearing jackets like that when it was, like, 67.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have some perspective down here, nevertheless. All right, man. Hey, uh, it's a football Friday. It is football season still, very loosely. When is it not football season, by the way? Uh, oh, just as a programming reminder for anyone listening uh, the annual um, pre-signing day show on, the, blog, on uh, the Great Iron Stud show coming at you on Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. Tuesday, 7 to 9 p.m. I always run over the time anyway. So, you know, let's just call it 7 to 10 p.m. But the annual pre-signing day show, 7 p.m., we'll talk about all the madness. And every year, Emil, it gets worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with the term D-command, correct?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, I call this time of the year pancake time. You know why? Because you flip your pancakes. Everybody starts flipping this time of year. Yep, decommit. Very, very familiar with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, very popular term
2: for uh, anyone that follows recruiting. If uh, you don't follow recruiting, you don't
1: understand what that word is, you realize that it's not a word, and that if you're trying to type this on any Apple device, you're going to get an autocorrect. But in recruiting world, a very popular word, and it's decommit. And uh, according to 247 Sports, um, last year, 249 decommits uh, throughout the entirety of the uh, recruiting cycle. I think they might keep that. Uh, That's a pretty good stat that they keep. So anyone who's committed and then decommitted, whether that be over a year, two years, whatever, um, they attach it to the class. So, uh, for example, if you had a 2016 uh, prospect and he committed to someone in 2014, and then, in, in sometime in two thousand fifteen, decommitted. It goes. It counts to with the class of two thousand sixteen. Pretty simple to follow, correct? Boy, what do you mean? What counts against the class, though? You're losing me. Yeah, That's a decommit-, a decommit for your class?
2: Yeah. yeah, you had a decommitment from the class
1: of two thousand sixteen. So,
2: Amel yeah, Calumet- they can count it however they want. I mean, if you're asking me, I don't, I don't consider anything a commitment really until they sign. I, I think it's the most. I think it's a, a ludicrous thing that just it, we've added it because it adds extra interest to the sport, and that's fine because it gives us something to talk about, and I enjoy that. But I think from, when people get all warped about a kid decommitting when he when he committed a year or a year and a half earlier, I think it's silly. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you're
1: not living in recruiting world. That's a very serious thing. When a kid gives his verbal commitment or his Twitter commitment, that is a commitment. That's in blood. Do you understand it's in blood
2: for the fans. Well, so. yeah, yes, I, I, I understand the way people who follow this and love their teams think, but I, I mean, you know, as you get maybe it's just might, I'm getting older, but you just realize, listen, you're dealing with children. Some of these people are doing this when they're 16 years old. Um, 16 year old, you could ask them what they want for dinner, and an hour later they don't want it any longer. So you know, I mean, whatever.
1: Yeah, kind of goes to where I, I'm going with this whole thing for the class of 2016, which was the last class. Uh, 247 counted a total of 249 decommitments in that class, uh, which is um, at least more than 100 for any other class previously in which they began this count. For the class of 2017, Abel, right now, Mm -hmm. with several days left, uh, that there's 607 decommitments in
2: the state Um. of for the class of
0: 2017. Well, and
2: and does that, does that really surprise you? You're asking these kids, I mean, earlier and earlier, they're trying to get these kids to commit to these schools, you know, a couple years in advance sometimes. I mean, so why is that surprising you that, you know, as a sophomore in high school, they say, yeah, sure. I want to go to whatever, you know, pick the school. I want to go to Texas, you know? And then (laughs) two years later, they're like, nah, maybe not.
0: Emil, um,
1: I haven't
2: dug deep
1: into it. Um, from this standpoint, as to trying to figure out whether or not they're actually encouraging the commitments, I think when they go out now, they're giving out offers early and earlier. There's, there's, you know, that's a fact. Uh, right. Where you didn't really offer 10th graders before it's expected. Where you didn't really offer 9th graders before it's not uncommon. Uh, where it might have been taboo to offer a kid in middle school, uh, no one really gets all up in arms about it anymore. It's not even a not even that big of a story. So you're, you're sending out the offers earlier, and part of that is, A, we don't want to miss out on a kid that could be a tremendous prospect for us by the time he's leaving high school, and, B, it's a little bit of some press for you, too, as well. You know, um, so they're Absolutely. doing that. Sure. But what's happening is the kids are getting the early offers, and then they're making early commitments. So you're offering a ninth grader, he commits in ninth or tenth grade. And you've been around teenagers what they think today, certainly not what they think tomorrow, let alone a year or two later so uh, they're making these commitments, and then by and large uh the kids that commit that early then turn around and end up at another school
2: uh, you know your your, your favorite if school, i if I, I was the king of the world for a day of college football okay and and you may decide, ask you, you may disagree with me, I don't know you know whatever but here's here's how i w- I would put a rule in you cannot commit. You know, the school can't even take a commitment or make an offer before the first day of school of their senior year, period.
0: And how would you believe um,
2: this is a big problem? Well, it would be simple, you know. If, if if a kid said I was offered, you know, the kids are stupid. They're not going to you know, they can't keep their mouth shut. I was offered by USC, and it's early. You know, you penalize USC because at, at the end of the day, I think I think it's bad for the kid more than anything because it puts a lot of they don't realize you know they how crazy adults get living through these kids and they put their you know this thing out there that I'm going to Texas and you know then a year later they switch to Oklahoma and they're out you know it's a different world than when we were young I mean there was you know no social media so you know what we can do write letters to the kid he can throw them in the garbage um, now people attack kids on social media adults you know uh telling the kid he sucks you know because remember that's how it works now when the kid was going to your school of your favorite team he was going to be the greatest thing since they decided to slice bread now that he's going to your rival he stinks yeah we didn't really want him anyway so on and so forth you know that so for me i try to put a system in place it's never going to be perfect but my rule would be simple it would be first day of school senior year you can offer the kids so if 50 kids want it 50 teams want to stay at the door on September 1st or whatever the first day of school is and give the kid an offer great and from that point forward he can commit to a school but uh, i just wouldn't allow this stuff i think it's, it's silliness it's, they don't have the
1: manpower to police and investigate something like that because it would be plentiful and then trying to run down the actual facts on that Uh, Was the kid actually offered? Was he not offered? You'd tie up a lot of manpower, time, and money trying to run those things down.
2: I I have to believe. Oh, no, listen, I understand you're not going to catch everything or or even try. See, part of it is just by putting it out there, you're going to to suppress it to some extent because no one wants to be the example. So, you know, you're never going to completely fix that because, as you point out, there's no way to truthfully police it completely. But by throwing the rule, it's kind of like the speed limit. If we put it at 60, we know there's guys like me driving 80. But what we do know also is mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'd probably drive 100, you know, and, so, and, and there's people that will actually follow the speed limit. So it, it suppresses speed in that, you know, no one wants to have their license cut up by a state policeman because they're going that much over it. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, 607 decommit, and I'm pretty sure if nothing is done, it will approach 1,000. Next year, imagine that a thousand decommitments—it's uh, got to be a real headache for the coaches, for the coaching staffs. They go out there a lot. Of, you know, a lot of what goes on now in terms of hiring guys and firing guys uh, in the college football coaching ranks has a lot to do with recruiting. And uh, you know, I've I've heard from kids who have had all types of responses from coaches when they've decommitted, anywhere from coach tearing up to uh, getting downright nasty with the recruit um, because so much hinges on it. You never know at what point uh, a coach is in his career when a decommitment like that comes in. He could be hanging by a thread and uh, he tells him he's decommitted.
2: And, you know, the other thing is, let's be honest, too, the the more powerful programs that can pick and choose are also playing, let me get a date for the prom and then see if I can get a a better date because, you know, I follow obviously USC recruiting. I'm sure you follow Florida and Miami. Um, where you have some ties, and, you know, I, I, I watch the, the, you know, the commitments come in, and then I watch, amazingly, these, these kids that are generally rated as three stars that committed early somehow mm-hmm. decommit and then get replaced by four stars. So right. you can't tell me there's not something going on there where they say, hey, you know, we might be running out of scholarships. You might want to just make check around and see what some of your options are.
1: Oh, that absolutely happens.
2: Sure, yeah, does. Absolutely. you don't have to be a rocket science to figure out what's happening. I mean, let me see, you know, Amel is a three-star. He all of a sudden decommitted from USC, and three weeks later he's going to, uh, whatever, uh, Arizona. And uh, Chad is a four- or five-star, and all of a sudden right. he's a commitment at the same position to USC or whatever, pick the school. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not well, – How that happens, isn't it? But it, it doesn't – It is amazing easily. how that happens. i
1: heard the story here um just in 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 recent days kid was committed to a school suddenly uh, decommitted and i found it strange that this particular kid would decommit and when uh, i dug a little deeper into it uh, actually the school had dropped him and uh you know they were they were kind enough to allow him to describe it in social media as him decommitting um so but the truth of the matter was they you know told the kid. It was a change of staff too. Here's that next thing that happens. It was a change in the coaching staff, and the new staff coming in didn't want to honor the, the uh, scholarship offer to the kid. So at this late stage, uh, with a week out, he's got to go find another school. That's the part of this thing that really really sucks for the kid.
2: Or you put you put a rule in that says, "Hey, if you make an offer, it it has to be honored." Ooh. That would change that gonna do that one, ain't I? I mean, things change. Well,
1: that's a let me ask right you there. this.
2: Let me ask you this: if I if I'm the football coach and I and I buy helmets from uh, you know whatever Nike or whoever's making them these days, right? Wilson, I don't know. I'm buy I buy helmets, and a new coach comes in. And I have a signed contract for that helmet. He can't get rid of it. It's signed. It's 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 a deal. I'm I'm delivering oh. you a hundred helmets. Wow.
1: So you're talking if
2: a previous staff made an offer to a kid, the new staff coming in must honor all of those offers. Within or a commitment. period. Like, I don't think you should be able to drop a kid like that, that Connecticut coach came in and dropped a kid like two weeks before signing day, mm-hmm. three weeks before signing day.
1: Yeah. Um, those things sound good. I just don't I, – I really wonder how they would – police something like that. That that would be great, just all across the board. You can't drop a kid. Maybe you put some kind of, you know,
2: time period on that. Within- that Connecticut coach came in. This kid had no other options, right? Division one. he committed a year ago to Connecticut. The new guy comes in, calls him like a month, whatever it was, three weeks ago, and says, well, we don't have a spot for you. You know, you you don't fit our plans. Well, I mean, isn't college football supposed to be about the kids? I mean, no. the, the kid – Plan his life not. around that. <laughs> uh, no,
1: absolutely not. That's the last thing that's considered in all this. And by the way, again, uh pre National Signing Day show uh Tuesday, seven o'clock, stud show. Um, what are what are some of the biggest let's talk about maybe the three biggest problems in, in recruiting right now, or some of the things you would like to see change, because I know you're a
2: guy that follows recruiting. Um well, I mean, uh, sadly, we you know make, make for a boring segment with me. I touched on a lot of them just because you know you had me going off as I as I sit here every year. I think about the same things. Like, why are we offering kids scholarships their freshman and sophomore year? It's it's absolutely ridiculous. It does nothing for you other than get you press if you're the program because you can't sign them till two three years later, the, and until they sign, it's not binding anyway. So all you're doing is getting some free publicity off a kid that you know you know may or may not stay with you it means nothing and you're going to put this pressure on this kid if he has a change of heart and you and and you know these coaches aren't blind they understand fan bases i mean i don't think other than maybe soccer which i don't follow like you do cuz you know you played it a little and i didn't right. but other than soccer i don't know if there's crazier fan bases than college football oh no doubt so you only need to take it you know i mean it's not like even an nfl team so what you got a guy and he was he's a free agent he leaves and he's an adult and he's getting paid well and he gets lit up on twitter that usually those guys at that point can give as well as they can take it you know they're they don't care um even if they do they'll get over it you know when they get paid every tuesday during the season but but this is like you're talking young kids. They're getting adults that are supposed to be adults acting like children. And to me, that's my big, my big beef is I don't know how you'd stop it, but I just really don't think it's, it's healthy right now. No, no, not,
1: a, not at all. Um, the early offers thing is one of the things on the table. Here's another thing that really bothers me is that when you're not one of the upper echelon players, four- or five-star guy, you're three stars or below – uh, you, can't, you can't right now take your official visits until September, all right? So you have September through January to take these official visits. Well, those lower tier guys, um, as beautiful as it sounds that you get five visits.
2: Why? Because wait, tour, wait, t- stop for me. Help me. Why? Because no one really wants them there that early? That's just a rule right now. Uh, now, they're, they're
1: trying to change it. They're trying to allow them to take trips uh, in, the, in the summer leading up to their senior year. Uh, but as it stands now, September to
2: January is the period of time in which you can take. Uh, but that's for trips. everybody, right? Nobody can take them earlier. Yeah, that's
1: right. Oh, okay, I thought you meant
2: because if somebody graded you a three star, you're saying because no one can can go early, it hurts the. Okay, I get you now. Okay, go. On. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no one can. One star, no star, five star. No, no, no one can. Well, what happens okay. to those lower guys is uh, they don't really get that opportunity to take all of those all uh, all of those trips when you get to. November, um, and December, and you start wanting to take trips, and you're a lower tier guy. Um, yeah, they start dropping you. All right, they start dropping. It. They they get worried. They get concerned. Whatever. They they go after someone else. You're taking too long to commit, so you don't get to take all of those trips. So it's a facade for them that they're able to take five visits.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. and okay. that's and that's not healthy either because you're getting kids that are committing to places they've never been to. They don't know anything wow. about the culture of the school. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that go on. You know, I mean, I see, I see kids, you know, and, and you actually see this now. And I'm not even talking about the graduate transfer. That's a different situation. You see how many kids do you see every, every following season after their freshman year or even during their freshman year transferring now? You see it all. I I feel like it's way up. I don't know what the numbers say, but it just feels like I'm seeing more and more kids transfer.
1: Yeah, um, maybe, maybe you know, with everything else, uh, there's so we're so much more in tune because of social media that we're able to find out about things more. But I'm going to agree with you on that, and that I those numbers are up. And and, you know, I get calls every year, I get contacted every year by kids looking to transfer, and that number is definitely up over the last two years.
2: Um, I'm in the team now with um, we. I say we as a fan. We had a kid last year at SC that came out from Georgia, a big lineman, EJ Price. Big kid, like six six, three twenty, and it was a big recruiting war between you know USC and Georgia, of course. And you know T Martin is a great you know he could sell he could sell snow to the Eskimos. You know a kid comes out to SC, and I was a little dubious. I, I followed the situation throughout, but I you know I'm, I don't know the kid obviously, but I'm thinking here's a you know it seemed like a country kid from Georgia leaving that that part of the country, going across the country. And you know, I you know, you always hope those situations work out. Well, he he was transferred by September, the end of September. You know, right. it's, it's at personal reasons. You know, usually personal reasons, unless somebody's sick, means homesick. It can
1: mean a lot of things. Kid got into trouble. They sure. don't want to put it out there. Who knows? You know, it could be any.
2: But I'm no, just saying no, I I've think. seen that every year and that's just following my own team and then I follow everybody else's and I see transfer this, this transfer. And, you know, obviously if you have your phone and stuff set up for your own teams, you get all that that stuff. But, you know, you, I get the feeds from like Bleacher Report, this guy's transferring that. and It just seems like it's up. Now, I, I wish I could uh, – maybe if I do some research I can f- find it, but I'm going to tell you if the decommits are up as high as they are, chances are I'm not imagining that the transfers are up too. No, 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 not at all.
1: Uh, you can you can bet your bottom dollar on that one. Those are also up as well. As, and it gets harder and harder to make the initial decision. And you have some kids uh, with about three, four days away from signing day right now, maybe even more than that, five days away, uh, really struggling with the decision. Uh, they've committed to two or three schools, decommitted two or three times, and now they're still just trying to figure it out and they're being pulled every which way. It's, uh it's crazy. College football recruiting is broken, by the way. And I don't know really
2: know how you're going to fix it well the toothpaste is out of the tube on a lot of this stuff and you know as, as much as we're trying to throw out ideas here i think you pointed out that a lot of it just becomes there's it, it you know we live in a world it's just so hard to police this stuff that even with the best intentions i'm not sure you're you know you're going to you're going to put that toothpaste back in the tube so you know you, ha- you have to hope that the, the kids are getting some good guidance or get more guidance because You know, I think there has to be a healthy blend when a kid goes to a school of you want to go to the school and you like the coach. I think when kids go to a school just for the coach, um, that's a foolish decision because the coach is, as as anyone can see that's paying attention, not a permanent fixture for a variety of reasons. It could be a great coach. They decide they want to go to the NFL or even a different school. Or it can be a guy who gets fired. (laughs) So just, you you know, if you're going to a place – Yes, you have to like the coach, but you really better like the school, in my opinion, because that's the permanent part.
1: Going back to the early offers thing, it was it was your school and one Lane Kiffin who kind of really opened the door to this whole thing. I don't know if he was the first one to do it, but it sure got uh, a good deal of amount of press. Back in 2010, he offered a seventh-grader quarterback, David Sills, um, out of the uh, Delaware area, played for one of those uh, charter-type yep. schools where they... To pull kids from everywhere, you remember, do, remember him doing that? I do. What were your thoughts yeah. about
2: that? Well, I mean, it was my own team. I thought it was silly because I'm like, first of all, he's in seventh grade. I mean, things change all the time in sports. Seventh grade, I mean, I don't know, maybe he matured quicker than other kids. I don't, I mean, yeah, he might have been the best seventh grader in the world. I don't know what he's going to be by 12th grade when everybody else grows and, and maybe he stops or whatever. So I, I just thought it was silly. Yeah, what ended up
1: happening was what you would expect to happen. The kid was uh, far and away out there for a seventh grader, and so you know the thought maybe is that he'll continue to progress at this level and remain ahead of his classmates. Uh, well, that didn't necessarily happen. Did and eventually end up being a pretty good quarterback, but USC kind of went cold on him, and so he ended up committing to West Virginia. Went to West Virginia, right. and then uh, did not um really pan out as a quarterback, didn't really fit into the mix of the guys that were there that they uh recruited before and after him. So he moved to to wide receiver for one year. At the end of that year at wide receiver, was not gonna again be in the mix coming back the following season at the quarterback spot. So decided to transfer to a junior college, spent a little time in the junior college. Now there's a recent announcement that he's going back to West Virginia as a wide receiver.
2: So that's the uh, Yeah, I mean uh, I, I just I just think I think those kind of situations are sad. Not that anything bad happened to him, but he just the kid just got bounced around and maybe he was led down a path that wasn't realistic. I mean, you know, if somebody looked at wait, until he was in 11th grade, they might have said, "Listen, you're not going to be a quarterback at a Division 1 school. So you need to change right. positions or whatever."
1: Well, that would have been a tough sell considering all the press that he got about being big time uh, getting that offer from USC. When he was all of, I don't know, I guess at the time, 12, 13 years old, kind of tough now to turn around and say, you're not a quarterback uh, while he's still in high school. Because he did end up being a, a pretty good high school quarterback. And his team, by the way, uh, was a damn good team that ended up having to go on the road just about every week to, to play games. We ended up playing them at the university school when I was there back in I think it was 2012. So we actually ended up playing against the kid. He was a pretty damn good quarterback. Uh, but they ended up having to go on the road because no one in that area would play them because they were they, they uh, accused them of recruiting. And so if I think if and-
2: I'm thinking of the same school, if they're at the same school, I'm thinking a big time defensive tackle that played for against you guys ended up out with us. He he's blowing out his knee yeah. twice. Um, he's coming bigelow. back this year hopefully he won't do bigelow kenny bigelow yeah yeah kenny bigelow yep.
1: uh, who was a monster in that game by the way a pretty good pretty damn good player uh, for the for the record we did beat those guys uh fairly handily it ended up being a, a shootout but we uh we handled them pretty good but they were a good team with a lot of good prospects and bigelow and i want to say another player on that team ended up going to sc it could be
2: wrong but there uh, was, and I can't think of him right now. There was, a, there was a, a guy that came out there with Bigelow as well. You're 100 percent right. It might have been an offensive lineman, if I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. I'm not, it might have been an offensive lineman. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, so um, that, that's how that whole thing shook down. All right, man. We got in some talk here about college football recruiting. How about that ahead of National Signing Day? Once again, for any of you out there listening, the uh, pre National Signing Day recruiting show and Gridiron Studs show. Is going to be on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Be here. We'll be talking about everything. Who's going where? uh, What's the final countdown for some of these teams? uh, The decommitments, the recommitments, the national signing day talk, all the rumors and all that good stuff. And I'll be having reporters from uh, all across the recruiting landscape, coming from scout, coming from rivals, coming from 247 Sports, all right here on the Gridiron Stud Show next next Tuesday, 7 p.m. Next Tuesday. Get back college. Well, you know what? We need to talk some pro football. There's like a big game coming up, I think, uh, next week. To uh, the, the, the big game. Last... Yeah, because I wasn't even sure if the Falcons had won. We'll talk about it when we get. <laughs>
0: Hey, 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 do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payouts. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25, and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry, the match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! You want the truth? Well here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship type speed? Do you want speed that kills? then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises, along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. We're
1: back here on the Gridiron Stud Show Football Friday edition. Well, it's, uh, it's the Patriots for the what is it the ninth time in their in their history. Eight uh, times. It is the Belichick. ninth time for them. Yep. Yeah, uh, most appearances by any NFL team at this point. Um, are you tired of seeing this, or or are you just in awe of the greatness that is Belichick, Brady, and the New England Patriots?
2: I mean, you know, there's something to be said for dynasties. It keeps us interested. It gives us something to to root against if we're not interested in the game. I mean, there's going to be a lot of Atlanta Falcons fans on on us next, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I think history will look back rather kindly at that. I mean, people are, you know, all of it now. Obviously, folks in the New England area are more happy about this thing than the rest of the uh, country, because the. Really would like to stop seeing uh, the whole <laughs> Belichick Brady thing going on. Uh, you know, you're a guy that follows this. Uh, the line on the game is three. Is it still three? Still three in favor of New England?
2: Uh, still three, as far as I've seen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I find this interesting uh, when it comes to odds makers. The job that they have at hand um, in making a line is not only do they have to kind of determine who's the better team and who has the advantage here in setting their line? But they also have the even harder task of trying to find a number that will place an even amount of bets on each side. Um, and you could probably talk more about what it is exactly and that, that they need. And
2: that's their goal. That's what most people don't understand. Their goal is to get an even amount of action. They're not trying necessarily to predict the winner. They're trying to predict the spread that will get even action. So all they want to do is collect the – what is called the VIG, and, and the, you know, if they can do that, that's beautiful. Now, it never works out perfectly, with, you know, rarely, but the closer they get to that, they just sleep then during the game as far as winning and losing. They don't care. That's their goal. They're not in the business yeah, though, of betting.
1: The thought of the general public out there when it comes to this is that Vegas is trying to find uh, the, the better team here, set a line, try to get a bunch of people on the wrong side and win the money uh, that way. That then would, for them, be gambling. And they're not in the business of gambling. They're in the business no. of setting up something where you, the consumer, gamble. So they they want 50% of the bets on the Patriots, 50% of the bets on the Falcons, and they'll, like they like you said, collect the big, which is the, essentially the P for even just placing the bet. And I
2: think that's where people uh, go wrong when thinking about point spreads. Yeah, most people think they're trying to predict the winner. They're trying to predict the perception of the winner.
1: Yeah, Um and play on your your thoughts as a fan and uh, someone who's consumed the game, um, and then uh, the media reports both before and after a game. They're trying to to play on that part of it. So, in setting the line at three, you got to give yourself uh, some real thoughts here. Where did they? How did they come to that number? You know, three points
2: on this particular game. Um,
0: well, Atlanta. Right. I mean, I think,
2: that, I think that this game, I don't expect this to move very much, uh, you know, and I could be wrong, of course, but, but I, I think that people are, you know, it's tough for them to bet on that. It is, and I think that the game is purposely set up that way, because if you look at this game, you've got the public loves offense. That's That's one thing that you can be certain of. So public the public will typically side in most games with what they perceive to be the higher flying offense a classic example of that in super bowl terms in the last you know recent history which is for us recent history for some of our younger listeners not so much the 2002 super bowl where the the raiders came in i think they beat buffalo like 58 to 3 in the the conference championship game they 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 destroyed somebody Anyway, their quarterback at the time was Gannon, and, I mean, they were throwing the ball over a the lot. They played the Tampa Bucks, who were one of the more boring football teams. Matter of fact, there's not many teams with the rules today left like that because you just can't play that boring of a football game and be as good as they were, but they were. And they beat the Eagles on the road in Philly, and, then, you know, it was a close defensive game, which most of their games were. And they roll into the Super Bowl as two touchdown underdogs, with, coincidentally, the coach who coached the Raiders, John Gruden, the previous season, and lost in the AFC Championship game. So they had the Raiders coach. They had one of the better defenses of the last couple decades and enrolled the Raiders with all this offense, 14-point favorites. I still remember it because I placed a wager on, on the Buccaneers plus 14. They won the game by 17. Now, I'm not trying to say I'm smart. What I'm trying to say is the public loved the Raiders because the Raiders scored points that year. And I think this game this year, as as good as the Patriots offense is, the perception is here's the Falcons that, you know, throw the ball over the place and they're fun to watch and they score a lot of points and I think that's suppressing this line. I think if a normal team was playing um the Patriots, a team that played like New England, good offense, good defense, put Dallas in there. I think if Dallas was in there, as much of a public team as Dallas is, I think the Patriots would be a five point favorite. Because Dallas has the perception of they're gonna you know, they're gonna play you in a phone booth and and, and and I that that to me doesn't draw people l- like Atlanta. I think Atlanta is this new sexy team that have not been there, and I think that they've purposely put a line there that's going to get equal action. I think you're going to see a game here. I'll be shocked if after this game we see articles that say they were one-sided on the game. I really will. would be.
1: Yeah, uh, I feel the same way as well. It's not often that you get a line at or around three. For a Super Bowl, looking back at a little bit of history over the last four times, um, typically one of two things happens: you know, your underdog uh, will 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 cover the game, and you know sometimes a lot of times the game will, will go under. Uh, and if the well, no, if the, if the underdog covers, yeah, the game goes over, and if your favorite covers, it tends to stay under. But it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Can you think of? Uh, Super Bowl's
2: past where um, the most astonishing line maybe that you've seen in a Super Bowl? The most astonishing line for me, and it was another game that, that I happened to win, <laughs> the most astonishing one for me was the 1990, I want to say, the 97 Super Bowl after the 97 season. And for those of you who forget, at that point, the Packers had replaced the Cowboys as the big boy on the block in the NFC. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre was there. Uh, you know, Dallas was in some decline, having won three of them. The, Pac- the Packers had won the Super Bowl the previous year against the kind of upstart New England team. Drew Bledsoe, Curtis Martin, Parcells was there. Uh, it was a Super Bowl that you know wasn't a, a total blowout, but the Packers won by fourteen and pretty much controlled the game for, for a good part of it. Um, so the next year they roll into the Super Bowl and they're facing the Denver Broncos. And if you people remember your history, I'll refresh your memory. The Broncos the previous year were the number one seed in the, NS, in the AFC. They were 13-3. and three, And in the divisional round, they got ups, upset by Mark Brunel and the Jaguars. Okay, the Jaguars ended up in the AFC championship game losing to said Patriots. Next year, yeah, Broncos yeah. come back strong. The Broncos come back. They've got a guy named Terrell Davis now. And he's with John Elway, and you go to that Super Bowl. And at the time, the NFC, and Chad, you'll remember this, they had been absolutely destroying the AFC. I don't know how many games in a row they had won at that point, but it was something like 13 or 14 Super Bowls in a row that the NFC had won. It was something crazy. So anyway, in rolls Denver, they're getting 14 points in that game. And I said to myself, listen, (laughs) I got a guy – and I had already, in my mind, placed Elway in the Hall of Fame. I, you know how I feel about him. I didn't care about the three losses. I never felt those teams were good enough to win the Super Bowl to begin with. And I said, I've got a Hall of Fame quarterback, and now I've got a guy that can run the rock, and you're going to give me 14 points? And uh, yeah. Denver went out Denver went and won the game, and I thought the line was absolutely crazy. Yeah, handled them, and then we didn't uh, really hear from Green
1: Bay for a while. Uh, after that uh, it's kind of that it's kind of like the end for them um
2: did, did, well, I that. mean does that was that was that line one that you, were, you remember or you thought was odd at the time or how do you remember I just thought that was like a very having remembered how good Denver had been the year before and watching them play that season I just remember thinking to myself this is odd <laughs> like what yeah, are you guys anytime, doing here anytime
1: there's a double digit favorite in a Super Bowl uh you know I stand up and and uh and pay attention. Like, why is that? Um, And typically, it has not worked out in in favor of the favorites. But I will tell you about a line that um, kind of made me stand up. It was San Francisco, San Diego. Um, And, yeah, listen, everyone knew that there was a a bit of a mismatch there. But a line came out, and it was 18 points, I want to say that it it was. Um, And that really, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows, including mine. Man, that's almost three touchdowns. Uh, in a Super Bowl game I mean the San Diego they, they belong here I know they I know there were a couple of you know some last minute things they had to do to get to this point but uh, three touchdowns I don't know that I, I, I think it probably still stands as the biggest line uh, in a Super Bowl if I'm not mistaken I yeah know. it
2: was probably a little bigger than that 69 game with the Colts Jets but you know let's for the listeners, let's take a trip down memory lane, though, and put this in some context. As to you know, because cause if you're under the age of thirty and you hear what Chad just said, you're thinking, "Well, how could they do that?" But let me put it in some context. The last Super Bowl, the, the AFC ASC won in '82 in the strike-shortened season. The Dolphins, or wait, I'm trying to think, was it '82? May um, might not even 80. be. The, no, '82. No, the Redskins won. Uh, let me think Redskins, Dolphins were 82 The Redskins uh, won that game You got to go back to when the Raiders yeah. routed Washington I believe that was the Yes, the Raiders routed three. Washington in 83 Correct, the Redskins had won in 82 The Raiders beat the Redskins Then after that, okay You had The 49ers win by 20-some points against the Dolphins. You had the Bears win by 30-some points against the Patriots. You had the Giants win by 20 points against the Broncos. You had the Redskins win by 30-some points against the Broncos. You had one close Super Bowl, the 49ers beating the Bengals by four. The next year, they beat the Broncos by 100 or something. The score was like 55-10. to Then in 90, you had a close Super Bowl with the Giants. Then you had the Redskins dominate the Bills. You had the Cowboys dominate the Bills. You had the Cowboys dominate the Bills again. So to put it in context, the games have been ridiculously boring compared to what we're seeing in this last decade where we've seen some really good Super Bowls. So that 18-point line was not out of context for the the time. It really wasn't.
1: Dominating, but it it did make me raise my eyebrows. And so I had a little bit of doubt. I wasn't really a line follower then. I was, you know, I just completed college. And so, uh, you know, you're going to be a Super Bowl line. But uh, the 49ers practiced at our facility uh, at the University of Miami. And I had the pleasure of watching them practice. And let me tell you something. After watching them go about what it is that they do, uh, whatever doubt I had, about them being able to win a game by three touchdowns went away. I said, I don't know. I'm not seeing San Diego's practice, but there's just no way in hell it looks like this. It was the most organized, crisp, well-oiled machine I think I've ever seen. And I just said to myself, I think all football practices should look like this in one way, shape or form just like this right here. Um, And no other practice I'd seen leading up to that point looks like that. Now, uh, every team aspires to do that, because I've been to plenty of college football uh, practices since then. And nowadays, this is how this thing has been run. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very organized, well-run, quick. There's no waiting in between periods. And I said to myself, watching it at that time in 1995, there's no way San Diego is going to be able to deal with this. Because not only are they, is there a talent uh, deficiency, this just... Um, an organizational deficiency here. There has to be. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I just said to myself, okay, well, this is going to be a blowout. That's why this line is at 18. Ended up being eighteen and a half, and the 49ers want it going away. They Ended up winning by 23-point table, but as you can remember, that game wasn't even that close.
2: No, no. And, you know, that was the year I remember that San Diego team. I think Stan Humphries was the quarterback. And if I'm not mistaken, the running back was a guy named Means. They went to yeah, Pittsburgh they- the Steelers were were in a, a funk at the time. They were losing, you know, in that, in that period of time from there and through like the early 90s, they lost quite a few, or the late 90s, they lost quite a few AFC Championship games. And they had that one at home, and you know, you kind of figured, you know, that this was their, you know, the Steelers were going to the Super Bowl, and Humphreys went in there and led a late drive, if I'm remembering correctly, and the, the Chargers uh, ended up beating the Steelers. you know, in in Pittsburgh and getting the Super Bowl, and you kind of felt like, eh, you know, it was a nice win for them, but they're not that good, and sure enough, you know, whether they were or weren't that good, I don't know, but I know the 49ers were, and the 49ers, like you said, absolutely killed them. Um, The next year the Steelers would get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, the way they ran it,
1: the, the way they played in the game, the way San Francisco, most notably on offense, the way they ran things on offense looked just like it did in practice. Boom, boom, boom! Right down the field. This is what we do. Touchdown! You know. And, and it, Well, it yeah. I mean,
2: up. Steve Young was at his peak back th- at that point. I mean, he he had a really yeah. firm grasp of the offense. He, the he had finally. That was the year they finally got the monkey off their back. Remember, they had right. they had beat Dallas in that in that epic. Uh, Dallas was going for a third straight Super Bowl, and they beat yeah. them in the NFC Championship game. So th- that was a really pretty good 49er team. I mean, Deion Sanders on defense, and you know, it was, it was a good team. Yeah, just
0: so I'm wondering here what we're
1: going to get in this Super Bowl game. It's really not time for us to sit down here and analyze it and break it down. We'll be doing that next Friday, but uh, just a little bit of talk on history. A part of me wishes that there was a more experienced team going up against the New England Patriots, but I do appreciate Atlanta's youth, their explosiveness on offense, and just the little things that they do defensively. Uh, I hope as I dig into this, I can, you know, find ways that I think Atlanta can come out of it. Because as it stands here, and again, we're not making a prediction. But as I just sit here, I, I, I'm thinking New England uh, winning this Super Bowl. And, you know, once again, it's Brady and it's Belichick holding up the trophy. And good God, cadell has got to walk over there and hand it to these guys.
2: Uh, that, that
1: in and of itself is going to be a moment. Um, well, that yeah,
2: my my concern in this game is while, you know, like I said, I have to look at it some more, but on the surface, you know, I see the Atlanta defense, yeah, it's played better. And I understand, you know, some of their statistics are skewed because of the, the way their offense plays. But my concern is, you know, what gets lost in this is New England's played some pretty damn good defense this year by NFL standards, especially in today's game. And, you know, I just wonder – you know, if if they slow Atlanta down, can Atlanta play enough defense to to win the game or stay in it? Even I mean, I hopefully my opinion changes as the week goes along and I look at it harder. But on the surface, that's what I see.
1: Yeah, um, you know that, and 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 again, before anyone says, okay, well, uh, it looks like I know where these guys are going. I don't need to tune in next Friday. Hey, listen, last week I was thinking Packers against the Atlanta early. Uh, that's what I was thinking, and then when I dug into the whole thing, um, lo and behold, um, it, it looked like the Packers were the move here, and, then, and they ended up being that. That's what I ended up picking, and that's who ended up winning the game. So again, I must caution you: we have not dug into things here; just on the surface, uh, just looks like
2: another Super Bowl win for the New England Patriots. I'll be spending. Let me let me times. ask you one question before we before we go anywhere here today. I know you you've got some places to go. Do you ever think? that we're going to see with today's rules a team that plays defense like let's say even if they have the personnel like that Ravens team um in the early 2000s see I just look at today's game and I say with well, the way the rules are situated like like New England led the league in points allowed okay New England is a nice club defensively but they're certainly not a dominant defensive team yet they only gave up 15 and a half points a game I just don't think anymore in today's game you're ever just going to see a team that just stops the opponent? Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. Like we just like, like when you played the Ravens back then, it wasn't that you weren't scoring. You weren't moving the ball a lot of times. There was three and outs. There was you know you'd have games where a team might get 190 yards or 210 yards of offense. Do you, I'm not sure we're ever going to see a defense like that again because of the rules. Am I wrong? I wouldn't say that.
1: I wouldn't say that.
2: You know, at some point, the
1: rules are what they are. Folks will make adjustments. That's what the game of football has been throughout time and history. Um, they'll find ways to humbug whatever it is the offense is doing. So if, you, if, you're, if you're limiting what defensive backs can do, then you, you know, and you'll just find ways to hit the quarterback. Um, they make adjustments. Another defense like that will come along. Um, it'll be, you know, the years in between real dominant defenses
2: will be longer but uh, I, I'm not prepared to sit here and say that. Okay. Well, um, no, that was a question. I don't know the answer. I just, you know, like I was looking at the defensive statistics the other day as the, for the regular season. You know, I was just curious. I'm going down the list, and, you know, New England's number one, and, you know, Seattle, I think, was up there. My team was fifth. I mean, the Cowboys were a, a good defense. They, they, in other words, they were representative. They weren't somebody you were just going to go out there and and, and they were going to lay down for you. But they certainly – like, to me, we're not a top-five defense of what I remember a top-five defense looking like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? True that.
1: Yeah, true that. Very, yeah. Very much so, my friend. Um, well, hey, listen. Um, we couldn't dig into the whole thing of, of, of you know, what's going to happen in this game. You, you and I need to do a little bit of research on things. And, again, we're not getting a whole bunch to work with in that line and that it's just a field goal, but, uh, just to touch on a little Super Bowl betting history while we do here. And so, hey, man, we did two good things here. We touched on college football recruiting, and we also hit up a little bit on the Super Bowl betting history because more money will be bet on this thing uh, than I think anything else. Isn't that how this works every year? This is the most – Oh, yeah, you know marathon. what's
2: coming up, Chad? After next Sunday, we got to start talking about the draft. We go right back around in a full circle.
1: Yep, that's it. That's how this whole thing works. There is no offseason. So – um Nevertheless, you folks stay tuned once again. uh, You're listening. Pre-National Signing Day show Tuesday, uh, 7 o'clock, right here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Be ready for that. And Emil and I are again back on on Monday. Recap whatever the heck went down at Pro Bowl. We'll give you a full Pro Bowl (laughs) recap on Monday. (laughs) In the world of college and NFL football. So tune in with us again on Monday for now. Thank you for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. For Emil Calamita, I'm Chad Wilson. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening.